Tune into the Josh Terry podcast brought to you by Raisin Grace Studios. I want to give a big shout out to all of our sponsors uh, Two Pilots Distillery, uh, Knife, uh, Mega Knife underscore on Instagram. Go look them up. Par Hopper Golf Apparel, Project K9 Hero, Grid Iron Coffee. Uh, y'all, please, if you're in the state of Georgia, go vote for my guy, Bruce Thompson. Uh, a big special thank you to that guy. Even though they're not sponsors, please go look up Creative Vets. Y'all know what they mean to me and my guy, uh, Chris Nobles over at Noble uh, Networking here in Cochran, Georgia. If you need rural internet, that is our guy. Uh, and our management and distribution company, Red Circle. Folks, I am super excited about this show today. Uh, it is not often that I get to talk to somebody that is just as country, if not a little bit more country than my ass. And a uh, long time ago, my big brother, uh, Lee Tucker, told me about this documentary called The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. Uh, he started it when it first came on. I was like, what the hell am I watching? And by the end of it, I fell in love with this family. And uh, I have got one of the younger siblings that was off of it on the show with me today, uh, Miss Ashley Poe. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm actually giddy. Uh, th this is cool. Uh, I actually watched a little bit of the documentary a while ago, and I saw the picture of you behind your mama, and uh, I thought it was the coolest shit. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast, so, you know, I hope it turns out good. It's going to turn out great. So, uh, actually, before we get started, I want you to tell them your social media handle so some folks can go look you up and everything and make sure they, uh, you know, give you a shout out after the show. Okay, thank you for that opportunity. Um, first, I'd like to give my main account on TikTok, which I cook on, and that is Ashby Cookin. That's A-S-H-B-E-C-O-O-K-I-N. And um, I also have another playful one. If you guys are tuning in, you guys might want to check the other TikTok page out. It's Ash Libra, A-S-H-L-I-B-R-A. And that one has some fun personalized content. And uh, same handle on TikTok, Ash Libra. I mean, Instagram. So, yeah, follow me on all platforms. I'd appreciate that. Awesome. So uh, do you still live? Let's kick it off this way. Do you still live in West Virginia? No, I moved out shortly after I graduated. Okay, how old are you? Because you still look like a baby. I'm 29. You're 29. Hold my actual age on this podcast, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, my bad. I didn't know not to ask you your age. Uh, That's you look like a baby. I was thinking like you were in your early 20s. Well, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. You're very, very welcome. Uh, well, uh, I hate to see you leave West Virginia, but uh, I can almost imagine why. It's probably 
you know, it's probably good to get out of there, breath of fresh air to start over new somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it was hard, but it would have been harder to stay. Uh, what was, you know, just give us a brief description because we're not going to go into too much of what it was like while the documentary was being filmed. Uh, I'm more interested in what it was like afterwards. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about it all because there's some that folks are going to want to know. How, how long, how old were you when they, uh, well, I guess when they shot the documentary, you had to be what, like in your early teens? Yeah, I was a freshman in high school and, um, which the documentary didn't get released until I was a sophomore in high school because, you know, it takes a while to put that stuff together. But the whole town knew what was going on because, you know, obviously there's a camera crew following around an already infamous family because my uncle Jesco had several documentaries before that. He'd been to Hollywood. He'd been on the Roseanne show. Um, and this goes back to my my grandpa, Donald Ray. He was a flatfoot dancer. So the fame and the family, I guess, started with him. And um, so everyone already knew our family. So they knew whenever it was filming. And then whenever it released, it was just kind of like people were anticipating it and people found their favorite quotes. And and then there was a lot of like nasty, mean people that, you know, were calling us white trash. But it kind of wasn't anything new, if that makes sense, you know, in a small yeah. town. Yeah, well, fuck those people. Um, <laughs> but I, it's like I was telling you before we got started. Uh, where I'm from in South Georgia, uh, I live and I grew up in this little community called Greston, Georgia. It's right between the city of Cochran and the city of Eastman. And it is a very lovely but yet trashy ass community. And we've got a couple trailer parks. We got more methods and we got trailer parks. And let me tell you, there was so much in the documentary that where we're from, it's just like, I, I don't understand why people are so just in awe by this. This is like going up the road and hanging out at one of these shitty trailer parks. Like, but there were signs like throughout it though, that I identified with, like my family identified with, and I hate, that y'all caught any hate from it, but it was going to, it was obvious while watching it that y'all were going to, um, let me ask you, was any of it embellished? Like were any of like the family members like turned up to 10 while the cameras were on, or was that your actual family? Well, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say they were acting because they were being their full authentic selves, but uh, they were probably a little more under the influence. I don't know the whole details of like, you know, what they agreed to, when they signed contracts, but apparently they, um, they only got, they got, I guess, I guess they got drugs and alcohol yeah. for payment. I don't know. I was young. I wish I was like older so that I could have helped them because they could have made a lot of money and it could have changed their lives for the better. But you know, that's really how they are at sometimes. But of course it's kind of like, you know, if you have this whole timeline, they picked out the most, you know, crazy parts of course but no that was them they weren't acting it wasn't scripted well uh that's that was the next question is if like they actually just picked out the wildest parts or was it you know they didn't really pick and choose they just you know was that them all the time um that's them under the influence and sometimes like in some parts of the the documentary i think they were actually sober and and that makes them kind of mean and stuff sometimes when they don't have whatever it is. And sometimes it's not a money thing living in that small town. Like I remember them like 
having the money to go get their fix or whatever and they couldn't find it and then you know they'd be angry or whatever and then they'd be the happiest people just dancing around and carrying on so you know they were fun they were fun and it, it was, it's just sad the circumstances but it was kind of like a party all the time well that makes more sense i grew up in a household lot to where when uh when the drugs weren't there or they wasn't available they were they were fucking assholes and, and uh, see, that kind of makes you make more sense to me, though, to be honest with you, because I'm one of those I've never used. And like, now, don't get me wrong. I like to take a drink that that's that's my vice. OK, but I don't use any type of narcotics. I never have. I might smoke a little weed every now and then if it's available, but I don't consider that to be bad. Right. I don't either. But I'm not touching anything that is an opioid or anything like meth or anything like that i don't care like i'm just or coke or anything like that. Like I, it's just i'm scared of it because i had to watch firsthand and had to see it now like when i looked at your instagram and i looked at your like tiktok and all that kind of stuff and i see how well adjusted you are and but i mean you moved away and everything as well but it's just like it's hard to compare the two if that makes sense this is like you're so well adjusted and then, like, you see kind of the documentary, and it's just like, well, like, when I was talking to some people about you doing the show, they were like, well, was she even involved? She must have been a baby during the documentary. And and then find out you were in high school, you ought to be fucked up. You, I, I mean, you ought, to, you ought to be a train wreck, and you're obviously not. I mean that in the best way possible. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. And thank you. Um, you know, I, I obviously faced a lot of challenges, and the documentary was – it pretty much showed a lot of the challenges that my family went through, but the biggest one was losing my grandmother. Um, and that broke me. I'm not going to cry, but I got my tissues right here just in case. <laughs> uh, oh, sweet. I'll go and tell you, I've, if it comes to losing grandmas and, and grandpas, you can cry on this damn show. I've done, I lost my papa Christmas morning. Uh, this past year I've cried several times. Uh, there's a, this, this, okay. Uh, I, I deal with it my own way, just like probably you do. I got a picture of my ninny sitting here looking at me right now. Oh, it's okay to cry. It's all right to let that shit out. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to do it on a damn documentary. Uh, kudos to, to you being strong enough, you know, your whole family being able to do that. There ain't no way I'd have been able to. Yeah. I mean, I really thank God. I thank my grandmother for praying over me and teaching me. She, she raised me on the Bible and stuff like that. So, that was my saving grace. And even between my brother and I, there's a lot of difference. I mean, obviously we're, we're so much alike and we're very close, but you know, he ended up getting in trouble as you guys saw in the documentary and going to prison for 17 years. So I, I just, I was saved by the grace of God and he just gave me the wisdom the knowledge and the ability to break those generational curses and yeah, just keep pushing. <laughs> it's all you can do. Hey, I talk about that so much on the show, and that makes me even like you even more. It's breaking that curse, darling. That's huge. That is huge. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And my grandmother used to tell me, I believe in manifestation, and she never used that word. She was just a straight from the Bible type of woman, um, you know, like you reap what you sow and stuff like that. But uh, later in life, I got a little more spiritual, like, you know, not just with religion, but outside of that, you know, with myself and learning that your, your words and your thoughts are powerful. And she always instilled in me that, you know, you're the one that's going to make a difference since I was just a wee little girl. And that kind of stuff sticks with you. And those prayers that people, you know, 
especially grandmothers, when they pray for you, those things, those are still protecting me today. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Hey, look, if it wasn't for the prayers of my grandparents that are no longer here, I don't know if my ass would be here. <laughs> I, well, we were at a saving grace and I'm, I'm proud of you for that and proud of myself too. And we did it. And that's why we're here on this podcast talking about it. You're so. damn right. You're damn right. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, that's actually the name of my studio and my daughter. My daughter's name is Gracie because she's my saving grace. And the name of this studio is Raising Grace Studio. It stands for somewhere between Raising Hell and Amazing Grace. But it's also because people get to see me Raising Grace, my daughter. That is, that's incredible. I didn't even know that. And like, I got chills yeah. on my arm because I think everything happens for a reason. So yeah, yeah. drawing those parallels already. Hey, hey I'm telling you. Well, uh, it's just funny. It's just funny. Good Lord, don't make mistakes. And like I, the fact that I got to come uh, across uh, you on TikTok or whatever it was, you come across one of my or whatever we met months ago. You know, shit just happens how it happens. You know, I mean, we we talked about doing a show a long time ago. I tried to get you to get uh, some more of your family members on, and uh, maybe the conversation to have was just between me and you. You know, you never know. I had some weird conversations this past weekend in Atlanta when I was there were some folks that I never thought I'd have in a million years. I don't go to Atlanta. I hate Atlanta. I hate everything about it and ended up having with two different people in the same night, two of the deepest conversations I ever had in my life. And you just don't know where you're going to be at. But, you know, you're not always where you want to be at in life, but you're always where the good Lord wants you to be. And the second exactly. the second you realize that your life's, you know, gets so much easier. So uh, tell me about the rest of your family that I'm guessing if, if it was my family, I'm going to tell you how my family were, would have reacted after the documentary. And then I want you to kind of tell me a little bit about yours in, in this context. My family would have either completely got strung out because they thought they were stars now, or and then would have got the big head, or they would have been so embarrassed by themselves that they just didn't come out of their damn house. Like, what kind of happened with your family afterwards? Well, I'm trying to think of it exactly what happened. I think that they they didn't even realize that they just released this documentary for the whole world to see. I don't think they they realized how many people had had watched it and how many people they had impacted. And I think for a couple of years, it was just kind of like they were like floating kind of like on cloud nine, you know, like they had a lot of attention in the town and. They were just in their prime, partying it up. And then I think, you know, obviously my grandmother's death, you know, I think they were kind of numbing themselves after that for a couple of years. And then some of them got embarrassed and the rest of them just got strung out. So exactly like you said, but, you know. Well, did, of any, did any of them, I guess one of the questions, I, I kind of I kind of messed that up a little bit. Did any of them like it kind of change the road they were going down? Cause I know like one, uh, the one who the, I hate that this woman got made fun of in it. And I'm probably going to say the wrong name, but the one that like the TikTok sound got made out of that CPS took my baby and all that type of shit and everything like that scene in the hospital, like I, that's the last scene while ago when I'm watching like the, cause I told you all guys like kind of rewatching a little bit of it and fast forwarding it or whatever. Like my sister, I'm going to say this for, I tell, ask you the question. Okay. My sister 
is in a cult now. But my sister was uh that's one way to start it off real fucked up, right? My sister though was a very bad addict, an extremely bad addict for like 10 years, if not more, from like the age of 14 or 15 till she was 25, 26. Then she halfway house, then cult. We I, I make the joke about it being a cult, but I mean, it's pretty much cold, but I'd rather her be there than, than somewhere else in a, in a fucking trap house or whatever. Right. So Mm -hmm. it took her like losing her kids and all this other stuff, like turn her life around. Like I'm wondering if that scene for, especially that mother, like did like looking back at it, did that help? Like, gut lead to sobriety for any of those people or help change anybody's life or anything well um in that scene you see tracy and you see kirk a lot of people know her as sue kirk or susan i know her as kirk that's what we called her my whole life and um i think she is the one that changed the most since the documentary and i think that you know she probably didn't realize that that scene would make it to the documentary or that even people would watch it so, of course, that's one of her biggest regrets. She lost her baby girl, and that was the biggest motivating factor. And she went off the grid. She literally moved out of the state. It, it broke her down. And an addiction will either kill you, put you in jail, or it will rip everything from you until you change. And that happened to her, and I'm so proud of her. Well, that's great. I'm proud of her, too. Then. Um, that's just – I kind of – I kind of got pissed off when the first time I saw that scene. And even like today, when I saw that scene, did anybody ever tell, do you know why CPS was ever called on her? Well, this is a toxic trait my family has. They, they will literally call CPS on each other. They'll call their parole. Oh, shit. I don't know if you experienced that in your family, but that's a big thing in my family. If you don't share your pills when you get them at the first of the month, when you go to the doctor, then I'm calling your parole officer to do a pill count or whatever, you know, that's just kind of how toxic they are. And so I don't know who called on her or if, you know, the camera crew made it seem like, you know, we need to drug test this baby because they don't just drug test babies. They make sure they're healthy, but they don't just drug test babies. They have to have like a probable cause. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, see, that that's what I was getting to. That's what I thought when I saw it. I thought it was – I'm not going to say it was the wrong thing to do. Like, in all due respect to, to you and your family, it, the scene that I'm talking about, if y'all have never seen the documentary, she had just had the youngin. She's crushing up pills next to the hospital bed, snorting them. And then the camera crew is recording it. I've always thought that the camera crew is the one that got in touch with CPS because they're the only ones that could have saw it. Like, unless there was somebody else in that room that the camera crew just doesn't show or somebody walks in and they just don't show the footage. Like, I kind of always thought that that was a setup, like, to be honest with you. And I, I there's just something, not that it was the wrong decision in my mind, but at the same time, I thought it was very shady and very shitty if it was them that did it. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I guess I don't know the answer to that. I've never um, asked Kirk straight up. I don't like to, like you know, bring that up or whatever, but I wouldn't be surprised. And even if they didn't, it was very disrespectful for them to even film that and then, then keep it in, in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) uh, There was a lot 
that's the number one scene I didn't think needed to be in the movie. Yeah, that one had to go, you know. But yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand why it was. I, I would understand if you're the camera crew or you're anybody and you actually want to help this family. There's one thing of profiting off of it and knowing what the family's in store for. Okay, I, I get what some of them knew that they were getting themselves into. But that one right there was one of those things that I was like, you know what? I don't think – I know that I personally wouldn't have put it in there. I might have contacted CPS, but I wouldn't have shown the whole world this. I, I know that I wouldn't have shown the whole world, world that. There's no way. Yeah. there, there would If they really cared and if they had anything to do with it, they would have left that scene out and tried to find a way to – to help her so that she could keep her daughter and be the best mother that she could be. But, you know, of course, that's just how it works. We live in a cold world and people just want to profit off of your pain. So that leads to my next question. Did, was it like, I guess, were they pushing y'all at any point in time? You said earlier, like some of the payment you thought was like in narcotics or drinks or whatever, like, were they pushing that aspect of it? more than anything like were they trying to get y'all to be or your family because i guess you were underage like were they were they that's what they were wanting yeah absolutely and you know my family's not innocent they want they were already going to do that stuff on or off the camera but put a camera in front of somebody give them more drugs than they've ever had before and they're going to act real crazy they're going to be turned up you know all the way up oh hell yeah i, I mean i promise <laughs> you yeah, you just you want that to be a proven fact. Just go to fucking Nashville with a bunch of basic ass white girls. All right, you turn TikTok on these white bitches and they go crazy. Uh, you get somebody that has a substance abuse problem and turn a camera on, it's over with. Yeah. And then of course, underneath under those um substances, like under the influence, you know, people don't think straight and they do things no. on camera that they would never even do. So did your family like afterwards like were they like, hey, did y'all get to see it before it came out? Or did y'all have to like, was there any discussion of, hey, you got to pull this or this shouldn't be in it? Or was it pretty much sign the rights away and what's out there is out there? Sign the rights away. I don't know 100% of the details. Um, I think Mamie and Jesco may have had more intel on it than anyone. And I know it was presented at the Tribeca Film Festival before it went out on like DVD or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they approved anything with anyone. And if they did, I'm not sure if my family understood, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash them, but they're not the most educated people. So it's okay. I literally get contracts put across me all the time, darling. And I don't understand half the shit that it says. I mean, it's, yeah. you don't have to be the most educated person when you've got somebody that has a lawyer and it's lawyer jargon or whatever, it's very easily to not understand that you're signing your rights away sometimes. And I don't recall them having a lawyer at all during this process at all. Well, they were probably whoever the doc, whoever was doing the documentary, they probably didn't want you to think you needed to have one. Of course, you know, I, I understand a lot of that stuff now, but I, I, I knew nothing back then. I don't think my family really knew either. Um, you know, they're not innocent, but, they're also not as bad as they were portrayed. So I don't think they were. I think that y'all are probably just a country ass family. I've got, I, I haven't met, uh, we had some family one time 
that came down. My dad's from Jamestown, Tennessee, originally. Well, my gra- my granddaddy is my one that's still alive. And he's from Jamestown, Tennessee, and he's from up in the mountains. And he has some family come down that I've only been around once in my life. And they were the most hillbilly-ass people I've ever seen in my life. And I, I'm literally from a farm community, and we're Southern, we're country, but these folks were just wired different. They were not bad people, but it was just a simpler way of life. Like they don't need as much. They don't have to have make as much money. They don't, there's, it's just a simpler life. Like it's almost not to be disrespectful. It's almost like they're 30 years behind than, than what we are. And almost, I envy that. I almost envy that it's not as fast paced, that it's more laid back. And that's all y'all reminded me of. Like there was a, a certain aspect of, you know, the wilder side of it, you know, and the more outlaw side of it. But, you know, that's there's, there's not that much different in what I saw from y'all and what I've seen from certain families and shit that, that I know personally. Yeah. And there's actually quite a bit of families, you know, in the same town that I grew up in that were similar to my own. And those would be the, the families that I knew, you know, those would be the ones came over to our house and partied with my family and those the kids of those people were the ones that I was able to see outside of school I had I was very you know I mean not to like gas myself but I was very popular and smart and athletic in school so I you know I've, I've always been different let's put it that way not to be disrespectful but you know I I clearly knew where I was where I came from and knew where I wanted to be and you know, with the help of my grandmother. But anyways, what I'm basically trying to say is that I had a lot of friends in school, like the popular group, the athletes, the nerds, all of the people I was friends with. But most of those kids weren't allowed to hang out with me outside of school. Me and you were the same kid in our family. (laughs) Literally, we were the exact same kid in our family. I'm so glad that you that you get that because it's, it's weird to explain and people don't really understand it and it doesn't make sense, but you know, it doesn't have to. No, it it doesn't. It doesn't. It's the same family, just different. I mean, I I get it. I trust me. I completely, completely (laughs) understand what you just said because I'm, I'm the exact, the exact same way. Did we talked about the good side of like, I guess, Kurt, what was the bad side of it after, um, you know, not to get too touchy or whatever, but what was like the bad side? Some of the things that happened to some of the family members afterwards that, you know, maybe some spiraled out of control. Uh, some just went off the deep end with it. Well, they all pretty much spiraled out of control and got way more addicted to the drugs and leaned on them to numb their pain because just a little rewind before the documentary, you know, my like my mom and all her brothers and sisters they lost their dad and two brothers you know within like I think it was like the same day or within a couple of days of each other they lost two sisters and murders double murders they had been through so much already and they were poor and and you know they were just living off the system and living off the land and so they had they had it rough their whole life and um you know my grandmother lost her first husband which wasn't a white, you know, she was, she had some kids before. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma. So after my grandmother died, that was, she was the matriarch. That was it. That was the last straw. Everything fell apart and they all got really addicted to drugs. My mom ended up going to jail and I was like 
parentless because I already lost my dad when I was 12. So I was parentless. I didn't have my grandma, my mom or my dad. And my brother was in jail, too. So I literally had to um, I literally had to go to the jail. I was living in my car <laughs> with all my crap in there. I had to go to the courthouse and the jail and get my mom to sign rights over to my best friend's family. And they took me in and that really helped, you know, change the direction of my life. Otherwise, I feel like I would have ended up the same way. But they all got really spiraled out of control. Like right now, I have a lot of aunts and uncles that their health is not good. And it's basically been downhill since a lot of depression. Um, my mom, I don't even want to get on that. My mom's not even the same person anymore. But yeah, so I can't think of one person that that changed for the better except for Kirk and, you know, uh, I don't want to say that, you know, I don't really know. I've been away, but the one I can say that changed the most and I'm most proud of is Kirk, you know, and I feel like she was humiliated the most in the movie. So I'm proud of her. Yeah. Uh, just that one scene. And then that one catchphrase is the one that most people talk about the, which I can't remember which one said the CPS took my bag. Was that your mom that says that? Yeah, that was my mom. Yeah, I don't, once again, like, it's just one of those things that I can't say that I haven't said it jokingly, but in the context of them filming it, it's just kind of like, why even film it? Like, it's, I, I think a lot of what they filmed with y'all, I think they could have done it a different way. I think, I really think that they should have just showed, don't get me wrong. They should have showed the fucked up good times. They should have showed, like, even at the beginning of it, where they're snorting whatever substance around your grandma and your grandma's, like, getting mad and, like, don't do that around me, don't do that around me. And then the dude, like, whips his pecker out and all that kind of stuff. It, that's fucked that's, up funny. The last part, that's funny. Like, to me, that's hilarious. That's probably the funniest part because like that's just normal humor that's not like you know yeah, somebody life being ruined yeah that that i'm okay with and then i'll tell you the other part i was completely uncomfortable with too and uh because i i, I kind of wonder how this kid is now was the the little boy um they kind of make the little boy just seem so off the wall wild but it's where he's acting like a little boy yeah and it's just kind of like they're kind of making like old girls seem like she's a bad mama or whatever. But the little boy knows there's a camera zone and he's showing the hell out. He's doing what any little boy is going to do when a damn camera zone. Yeah. Well, and then he just a uh, Mountain Dew or Pepsi or whatever he just chugged. <laughs> yeah. They probably just gave him some fucking sugar that behind her back and she's like losing her shit. Um, now I did think it was funny when she was talking about beating the hell out of old dude. Uh now that that's funny as hell. That was I, I love that part. Yeah, I do think that they did her wrong. I, I think of all the people in the documentary, I think that they absolutely did her wrong. I don't think that they did her justice. I, for some reason, I don't know why they made her the punching bag. Uh the one I thought they should have made the punching bag, and I, I hope I don't offend you when I say this. I don't even remember the name, but the dude does the mating call. Uh, yeah, that guy I don't much care for. Yeah, no comment, but a lot of people have <laughs> opinion of you. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I don't like anybody that sells drugs um, or just is that proud of it. 
And it just seems like he kind of tried to sound like he glorified it. And I just, I don't know, there's something about that shit that rubs me the wrong way. Like, if you're Pablo Escobar, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're fucking Pablo Escobar, or you're some, like, some big-time dude like that, and you're making a meal a day moving bricks, you know, you're still a fuck-up in my book. But, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you the swag. You know what I'm saying? Like, by all means, whatever. But the way that dude acted... I just kind of was like, if I ever run into you, I would just fucking hate you. I know I would hate you. <laughs> he probably had like seven Xanaxes in that bottle. Like he, nobody that's really moving anything like that is, is going to be over there. Like, yeah, that was another thing. I don't know how nobody, when y'all, when they were filming, didn't think that law enforcement wasn't going to like literally have a target on their back for the rest of eternity because of that documentary. Like, I don't know who all's in jail or who's been in jail since then, but they literally had to think, well, we're fucked the rest of our lives because of this. They're going to pull us over or they're going to literally be stalking us the rest of our lives. That's why my mom went to jail and I didn't, I was parentless and homeless in high school. Yeah. And she got put in jail for conspiracy and she was doing stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, but she was a little more slick about it. But they got her on conspiracy charges and put her away for two and a half years. Damn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that one just didn't make sense to me. Um, but also, too, there's ways that the camera, they knew what they were doing. And it's almost where I put a lot of the blame on them. Not your, yeah. not your family. Well, I was shocked when it came out. I was shocked that that they had that footage of my brother, that crime he committed way before the, the documentary came out. Like, And they were talking to like the judges and the police officers in the town. So I'm like, what kind of like, where, where did they get that footage? And who are they getting, who are they paying off or, you know, whatever to be so cool with the law enforcement and everything in that town and to get that footage that was like news footage uh yeah i don't they I, I mean, like i said that's one of the reasons why i was interested in talking to you about this because i felt like they did y'all dirty but i didn't know a lot of the times uh one of the things i tell a lot of people is you can either be on the outside of the joke or you can be on the inside of the joke i didn't know whether your family was part of the joke if they knew what was happening but it's obvious that they didn't know the majority of things that were going to be shown yeah, they, they, they really had no idea. And like, you know, now I make, you know, funny TikToks about it and stuff because, you know, you can't change what's already been done. And, you know, like we said, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. But yeah, I mean, obviously it has helped me today build a platform because, you know, people like sympathize and people are intrigued and stuff. So, you know, I'm thankful for that, but I would, I would trade everything just to, to fix them, go back and not do that. You know? Well, I think you have to, I, I, for, for just pretty much the reasons you said, but it's therapy. I mean, yes, it's already happened to you. Now let it happen for you. I mean, it's one of those simple things that it, people are going to bring that shit up the rest of your life. How long, how long ago did that documentary come out? It's been at least 10 years, right? Yes. It, it came out in 2009. Okay. So, so yeah, it's yeah. been years. Yeah, so you're talking almost 14 years now. 
that has mm-hmm. been out and you still got people that are going to watch it for the first time. Like even when we put this out, it, it'll get, it'll get a whole new wave of folks when we put this out. And like, even if we don't, somebody eventually it, another show or something's going to bring it back up another anniversary of it. Or like when I went and bought it while ago on Amazon prime, there was a 10 year anniversary edition of it. That, mm-hmm. That's the one I rented. So there's going to be a 15 year anniversary. One of it, there's going to be a 20. Um, people are going to profit off of it. So the more that you go ahead and you like come to terms with it, the more your family comes to terms with it, it's already happened. You might as well, like as long as you have progressed from it and that's, what's really cool about you, actually, whether you have just ever sat there and thought about it or not, you've progressed so far from it. If I, like, I didn't know what I was going to get today, but just like looking from your, your social media or whatever, I knew you were well adjusted already, but like, it's like, okay. I mean, you're, you're a perfect example to where like, you don't have to be the way you were raised. I'm a good example. Like you don't have to be the way you were raised. Like you take those good values and that's all you take. Like when you're around a fucked up situation, you literally a good, not a good person, but somebody who is smart enough to realize like this isn't the way to live. Like pick and choose the things you want to take with you the rest of your life and the rest of that stuff, you let it go. Yeah. And, and, and thank you. I appreciate you for your kind words. And, you know, for, I feel ashamed that for a long time, I just, you know, it was a toxic trait of mine is like, I just pretend things didn't happen. I just live my life in the moment and I make my own like little fairy tale in my head. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a normal person. I grew up normal. You know, I do that for myself to get through, but now that I'm older, um, I've learned to embrace it and appreciate because it, it, it is a challenge that I have overcome. I did have obstacles and I may inspire other people by sharing my story. And it took me, you know, obviously over 10 years to, to come to terms with that. But I think what it was is like, I got on TikTok and I, like, I tried to start cooking. I try to do like normal things and not like shine light on where I come from. And, you know, I have a different last name, so I've never... To this day, people on my cooking channel, most of them don't even know, like, you know, I've made a whole different brand for myself. And then I was like, you know, I want to do some fun dances and fun TikTok. So I made my personal account and I come across people with millions of views using my family's name and profiting off of it, like you said. So I'm like, why not me? Why, yeah. why can't I take the power back, you know, and make it a positive message and not just some like make fun of this family? Yeah, you could definitely. You could definitely take, like, as somebody like me that's been in marketing and branding and all that kind of stuff, you could definitely take the where I started to where I am now aspect of that and turn it into a whole brand. The only thing that fucks y'all is your last name. The the only thing that messes the wonderful whites, that kind of, that kind of fucks you in the generation we live in. Uh, because people will be like, well, they're super racist and you're probably clearly not. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're, you're clearly an extremely good person. Um, you, you seem like just a wonderful person. And, um, I'm sure most of your family really is like if, if people really sat down and got to know them and didn't judge them off of a hour and a half documentary and, but no, you, you, that's what you should do. Like I would even take, it would be cool to see. I'm sure with the, the platform that you've built or whatever, 
it would almost be cool for you to reach out to some directors and stuff like, and do like a, from then to now version of it, but do like a real aspect of it, of what happens when social media, because I mean, y'all were like in kind of the first wave of social media, like how bad it can affect a family, like, and stuff like that. There's so much you could do to positive, positively, change the outcome of other people in the future. That That's how I would look at it. I mean, you, you, you've got a good chance to really help people with the story, whether, you know, it's from substance abuse helping or other things. Yeah, I, I would love to, you know, I would love to take on all of those um, opportunities now. And, you know, even just three years ago, if, if, if anyone would have asked me, would I even be publicly speaking as a member of the white family? I would be like, no, you know, I'm like a turtle. I'm going to hide in my shell forever and hide from this. So that, you know, I moved all the way to Alaska and, you know, finished my school there because I was going to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, not to like toot my own horn or anything, but I got like a full ride scholarship and I was going, I wanted to be a doctor and all of that, but I got pretty distracted my first semester there because you know, I was talking to this guy and this girl, I guess, was talking to him already. So she did her little stalking of me and she found out who I was and who my family is. And, you know, that caused some drama. I got into some fights and I, I, I noticed like I'm I'm getting really distracted from what I'm supposed to be doing. So I made that, you know, decision to just get as far away as I could. And that's what I did. And I didn't look back for for like years. So this is a the last three years have been like, you know, me really getting back in touch with the old me and like, and getting out of that numb state of mind where I just forgot about it and like ran away from it, you know? Well, that's what we do with our trauma though. We try to bury it. But the second, like we really like, how do I put this? Your, your demons are already there. You either can let your demons control you or you can try to control your demons. Like let those son of a bitches work for you. All right. Yeah. I mean, you have to like the hell with them running your life. Like the, everybody's going to find out what where that documentary about you. Any anybody that you're you're with, marry, work for, come across in life, they're going to look you up, and they're going to be like, "Hey, I saw this." You know, <laughs> it, I, I'm sure it's happened to you uh, a thousand times about now. You know, I would almost, I'd almost make a joke out of it the second that, that I come like that I met somebody, but I would do it in a way like, would you start to put stuff on TikTok and everything? Like I said, you are an example of, you know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And that, and that's what a lot of people need to know. There's a lot of people that come from, you know, those, uh, those poor communities that are like, you know what? I, I can't get out of here. Like I'm, I'm stuck here. Like there's, I'm never going to get a full ride to a, a big college like Marshall. I'm never going to get out of the state or the community that I'm in. And like you did, and you did it against adversity that these people are not going to have to face. No, there's not everybody going to get a documentary made about their family. And like you busted your ass and you did it. So it's where in my mind, it's like you being a speaker for that. 
and always acknowledging where you came from and what your family's been through. That's like really deep and really cool and gives you a whole lot of power to help motivate change in others. I, I had a long talk with like a couple of people this past weekend and explaining to them that social media is not about like growing followers, making money. Of course, everybody wants to make money. Uh, it'd be, yeah. That's not a lie. Like I, I do stuff not just to make money, but I want to bring about change. I almost think that everybody that has some sort of platform should be an advocate for something. Like it doesn't matter what you're an advocate for, because not everybody can be a domestic violence advocate. Not everybody can be a substance abuse advocate. Like some people just have to be an advocate for a better life. And it seems like that's probably like what you could do is like reminding people, hey, I grew up in a fucked up place. You want to go see how bad it was? Go watch this documentary. All right, go check this out. But this is where I'm at now. Like I, I didn't let this literally write the rest of my book i'm still writing chapters in my book and i'm writing it the damn way i want to man like you, you really get it you really really get it and and i'm so happy to to be on the podcast and having this conversation and i want to ask you because you seem like you know you relate so well and like you said you come from similar background so what what was that point in your life you know i know you have your daughter and she's your saving grace you named her gracie right yeah so was that the point in your life? Did you have a, you know, a pivotal rock or? Well, I, I knew, I knew I did. I did. Uh, when I was probably 21, 22, I was in jail for like, I think 60 days, 60, wow. 60 days. And I just like knew this wasn't going to be my life. Like, and my, my thing was stealing. My thing was stealing. Like I didn't want to work. Like I wanted to, I stole scrap metal and shit. Like it wasn't nothing crazy. That's why I never did like no hard time. Like I've done, I did, I think 60 days one time. And I think I did 90 days, not even in like a real jail. Like it was a boot camp, a rehab detention center. So like, it's not even like I've done like prison time or anything like that. Like I had to, I had to work every day. That's what I had to do. But like, I just really sat there and I thought about it one day and I was like, you know what? There's so many opportunities, even like coming out of this. I don't want to live like this. I'm not a drug addict. I'm just lazy as fuck. Yeah. Like, I, like I, that's all my thing is, is like, there's no excuse for me. Like my excuse is I grew up and I blamed my mom and my dad for my problems in high school. Like when lights got shut off, when other shit happened. And, uh, like I blamed my other family that was well off for not taking me in for long periods of time. Like they would take me in for a little bit. Like I blamed other like people that I was close with for them, not asking me to live with them when it wasn't their responsibility. I stopped blaming everybody else, I guess is what I'm saying. And I realized that the lesson that everybody was trying to teach me is the world's not going to fucking take care of you. Like, Hell yeah. And when I realized that the world's not going to take care of you, the older you get, you got to take care of your damn self that I was like, I'm not, I'm just not going to do this. So I had a couple of shitty jobs after that. And then I found what I was passionate about and it was, it was radio. And when I found like what I was passionate about, which it came out of a fucked up situation, I was in a relationship. I was like 330 something pounds. I got broke up with. 
and I, I'm a suicide survivor. And so, so like, no, it's okay. It's one of the best and worst things that ever happened to me. So like, I knew what my triggers were when I came out of this relationship, I was so fucking angry and mad at the world. Cause I thought I had found my person. And when she cheated on me, left me called fat and unattractive. Like I was literally at the point to where I was like, I've got to choose right now with everything that has happened to me. Am I going to let, this is like a couple of years after I've been out of jail or out of the boot camp. But every time the world kept handing me like fucking punches, I knew that I either had to take them and get back up or I had to sit there and waller and be a piece of shit. And if you waller and be a piece of shit, then all you're ever going to do is going to be at the bottom of that barrel. Like I almost think that the hardest times in our life are followed by the biggest blessings that we have to, we have to literally be tried. Um, I I'm, uh, I'm all about there's warriors in this world and there's preachers. I'm damn sure not a preacher. I ain't ever going to be a preacher, but I try to lead by example with my faith to where when somebody talks to me, I want the worst of the worst, the people that has been at the bottom of the barrel, people has been in jail, people has been addicts or whatever. Uh, I just had some talks with some vets. We do a lot of stuff with veterans. Like I want people to feel comfortable with me. That's been a fuck up. Cause I'm still a fuck up. Like I still make mistakes. I still drink too much. And hell, I love women. It's just, I, I have a lot of vices, but like w- when you realize the only person that's going to take care of you is you. And like, you have to quit blaming the rest of the world for your shit. And you have to get your shit together. That is, was my turning point. And I've had a couple of them, but jail, my daughter, a very bad breakup. Like all those times were moments that I could have broke. And I decided I wasn't going to break. Like, and when I didn't break right after that, like I was, I received a blessing. I think life wants you to get to your breaking point. And if you'll bend just enough that you almost break, but you don't, I think that's when we receive our blessing. I think that's like God saying, Hey, I'm going to test your ass so hard. I'm going to put so much pressure on you that it's going to feel like you can't take any more. And if you keep going that one extra foot, that one extra mile, that's when you receive your blessing because you're worthy of it. That's how I feel as far as what my turning points are. Cause I've had a couple of them. Yeah. That, that resonates with me a lot. It's so comforting. Like it's almost emotional just hearing someone else's story. And I feel the same way. Like, I, I feel like, you know, like you said, right when you're about to, when you're bending and you're about to break, it's like, and then you just feel like God, like lifting you up, you know, like keep going. Like this was at the end of the tunnel for you and you're going to have more of these obstacles, but each time you're going to come out better and stronger and I'm going to reward you. And, and I'm glad you realized that, yeah. you know, I and even t- we're, we're, we're both doing great and uh, yeah. hell yeah for both of us, but we're still going to get those obstacles and we're going to have to keep climbing them and everything, you know? Well, I think, gonna- I think you have to. Yeah. I think you have to. I think that in like, uh, I was texting somebody yesterday about it. I get too wrapped up in the destination of things that I forget that the process is the beautiful part of it. The destination means that something is over. The destination means that we're there. 
Now what the fuck do I do? Right. The process is where you learn those lessons. The process is where all the beautiful shit happens. The destination is just a momentary reward. Like the process is what all of us right now are on our journey. That is where we all need to be realizing we should be celebrating every single moment, even the failures right now. Because those failures are beautiful. We just don't realize they're beautiful unless you're open-minded about it. Once you realize that those failures are fucking beautiful, that's great. There's beauty in the struggle and ugliness in the success. And that's probably my favorite J. Cole lyrics ever. (laughs) No, that's good. I love that. I've never heard that before. One of my one of my good friends is named Brian Martin, and he's got a song uh, named "Beauty in the Struggle," and uh, I thought that's what you was finna quote, but I like that. I like it too. I tell you, he fucked up and missed out on a good opportunity right there. Um, <laughs> but Miss Ashley, um, I want you to drop your social media handles uh, one more time because I think that quote that you just like ended us with right there. I think that's a great way to end it, and uh, I want to thank you for taking time. And it's awesome to see you doing great and i hope and pray for the rest of your family with their struggles they're going through and uh anytime you want to catch up anytime to any of them uh want to get on here and maybe talk and share some of their lives and i want you on here too when they do it if they if they want to do it um hey we'd love to have y'all on we'd love to hear from from all of y'all yeah this this has been wonderful and we definitely got to do this again i kind of feel like you know, we're manifesting something big. I, I feel, I have the feeling something big is going to happen for both of us. And we're going to have a lot more to talk about the next Absolutely. time. <laughs> hey, but take care. God bless. And well, keep I, on. I share your social media stuff one oh. more time. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're all about that branding and marketing. So um, for Instagram, it's Ash Libra, A-S-H-L-I-B-R-A. Same thing for TikTok, but also my number one followed account on TikTok is Ash B. Cookin. That's A-S-H-B-E-C-O-O-K-I-N. No G. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, thank y'all for listening to the Josh Terry podcast. I will catch y'all next time.